0: Thanks for clicking play on PageCast, a book-centred podcast series brought to you by Jonathan Bull Publishers. In this episode, author Amy Haydenreich chats with author, scriptwriter, and script editor Pamela Power about her latest book, My Year of Not Getting Shitfaced. The title says it all. This is an honest, fun, and humorous look at a grown woman's love-hate relationship with alcohol. In My Year of Not Getting Shit-Faced, Pam takes a hard look at her binge drinking habits and realizes that although she does not need to find an AA group immediately, she might be a serial binge drinker and needs to take back control. While other sober curious books are often dry and portray sobriety as the only answer, Pam finds a sweet spot between total sobriety and binge drinking. It's called moderation. Enjoy the episode.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to PageCast with Jonathan Ball. I am Amy Haydenrich. I'm an author of three novels, two psychological thrillers, and one I wrote with our guest today, the remarkable, hilarious Pamela Power. Pamela is author of the Semi-Autobiographical Misconception, Kalila <laughs> <and laughs> Now Trending, and Things Unseen, as well as my co-author on Chasing Marion, and now, most recently, the author of her first memoir, My Year of Not Getting Shit-Faced. So, welcome Pamela. I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today and let's get into it. Thank you. (laughs) So I wanted to talk about the inception of this book because we have a very unique viewpoint on it in that you phoned me at the very beginning of your sober curious journey and I remember the moment so vividly that I was sitting on the stairs of my house for some reason, probably child related, and you were telling me that you wanted to cut back. And that conversation, I think, is a conversation many people have when they're wanting to give up a substance or make some sort of shift in their lives. It's, it's an inflection point where you speak to someone who's doing something similar to what you hope to do. So I wanted to ask, what led to that inflection point in that moment?
2: what led to that was getting absolutely shit-faced on mother's day and i don't know why it seems to be always mother's day but yeah so (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i had been out for lunch i'd had a couple of glasses of wine and then we'd been invited to somebody's house we went there afterwards i had no idea that i'd actually had that much to drink but we really proceeded to get I'm saying we, I really proceeded to get off my face drunk and I sort of woke up, at you know, had that shame attack at three o'clock in the morning thinking, oh my God, did I really say that? Did I do that? Like, what was that about? The worst part of it, which doesn't sound like the worst part of it, was that although I sort of had the whole breaking out in a cold sweat and heart racing, whatever, I didn't actually have that hangover where I was worshipping at the Great White Toilet Bowl, which is my my usual thing, because I'm quite a a cheap drunk. And that that gave me a fright. A couple of days later, I had coffee with a a group of girl friends. The one said to me, do you remember picking a fight with so-and-so? And I was like, what? I did not remember. So like, Half of the, it was afternoon, evening. I didn't remember. And that gave me like a big fight. So it was kind of two things. It was, and I think that's when I phoned you, was actually after that coffee. So it yeah. was the not getting a hangover. And then that I literally, and I'm going to use your favorite word here, I had a brownout. <laughs> <laughs> and this is not a tummy bug, everyone. Um, this is similar to a blackout, but it's when you remember flashes of the evening, but not the the whole evening. So you know, I think that it was at that point that I I phoned you and I said, Amy, I have got to do something. This, you know, this has actually really, really shocked me that I, I, I don't remember what the hell I was doing. I didn't really recall this argument I had with this person. It was just so really jolted me. And that was when I phoned you because I knew you'd, you know, made a similar journey and hadn't in fact really drunk a thimble for for years. Yes. So, yeah.
1: I'm a little fairy that drinks as much as a thimble. <laughs> and I remember you saying in that conversation, how do you do it? How do you go to social events and not drink or drink less? I think that's something we can come to at a later stage, but I think it shows the enormity of the challenge for you, but most South Africans, when you think about being part of a social event and not drinking at all. So something I want to mention up front, anyone listening and thinking of buying the book, is this is not your misery memoir Pamela hit rock bottom. She was discovered in the gutters of Parkview. And, you know, she built herself up from there. It is a sad, moving, and relatable novel, but it's also extremely laugh out loud funny. And I want to hear how you use humor to cope and navigate your life.
2: I think, you know, I think that's something growing up is that. Any bad situation, we would find something to joke about. I mean, sometimes hugely inappropriately. Like, I can remember when my brother in law had a brain aneurysm, and my sister and I sat outside his room in ICU and could not stop laughing. And the specialist just looking at us like, you know, these people are worrying. They're not well. That's how we kind of cope with stuff, is like with a bad, you know, a bad joke about it or whatever. And I think, you know, obviously also while this was all happening, it was in the middle of COVID. So, you know, we had people dying all over the shop. We had businesses going to hell in a handbasket. So, you know, obviously I was using drink to cope, but I was using humor and I was using work, which of course is my other addiction along with caffeine and wine gums. So, yeah, that that was kind of like the only way... I could get through it. And I suppose, I mean, somebody asked me, was it cathartic writing this? And I suppose it was. I suppose, as you know, Amy, we use we use writing to process everything. We have to write. It's the way we
1: understand what's happening in the world. You know, we have to write it down. Yeah, completely. And And the use of humor, it's such an art because to convey what you're conveying but still make us laugh through it is a real skill. And I was gonna say, don't you think it's quite a South African thing as well, that we live in the country that we do, but we actually do laugh a great deal.
2: That is absolutely what I love about us, is that we can find the most appalling situations funny. We'll we'll you know, there'll be a meme about it, there'll be a joke, we'll, you know, find something funny about the power not being there for three days or you know <laughs> getting water from the pool for the loo or whatever. You know, like I mean what are you gonna do? Or else you you I don't know. I find I start boring myself after a while if I moan too much. So yeah, I think it's it's better to laugh.
1: Exactly. And now on that happy note, onto the feeling of shame. So <laughs> I I like a smooth segue. So, you know, you do have this very bubbly public persona, not only in terms of your writing career, but your soap writing career, where you're on social media, you're talking about the projects you're working on, you're watching alongside viewers, and you are, you're generally a bright presence online, but yet you were dealing with over this time a sense of private shame, not only in terms of your own personal journey um, with regard to your drinking, but also in terms of some family and financial challenges. So I wanted to hear a little bit more about that mix.
2: Well, I think, again, it is that it is that kind of thing of you don't want to be be boring people on Facebook with your personal issues. But I also felt... I almost felt like a responsibility because I thought people see me on social media and they think my life is fantastic with my wonderful husband and my family and my gorgeous life in the parks and my lovely writing career and everything. And they don't realize I'm actually sitting there, really hoping that my debit orders aren't going to bounce because I haven't got paid yet. Or, you know, my husband's business was tourism marketing. I mean, tourism marketing in a pandemic, you can imagine how well that was doing. You know, so I was just like working on a million shows, all hours God sent, trying to bring in money. I also wrote the book for other people so that they could see that don't believe everything you see or read on social media because it is a marketing tool. We we're curating what we put out there. And that is not like our real lives. Like our real lives stuff is going down like, oh my word, I've got a book launch and I need to get my nails done, but I've got no money to get my nails done. You know, I, I wanted to get really real about those kinds of issues. And I also warn my family, I said to my kids like I'm not gonna make out like we have this perfect family and rah, 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 you know? Because I want, I, I want people to read it and think, oh, it's not just me, you know? Yeah. Other people are also going through this and, and feeling that sense of not being alone, And that's what's been kind of gratifying, is people saying to me, oh, I I feel like you wrote that book for me.
1: This is the power not only of fiction but of memoir that someone can dive into your book and really see themselves. And, I mean, that was my next question, is just talking about the response so far. It seems to be wholeheartedly resonating with readers. So tell me a little bit more about the responses you've you've had directly from your readers.
2: It's actually been... Quite amazing. I've had a lot of people messaging me on social media or just coming up to me and talking about their own issues, like with drinking, saying that they, you know, they're worried about their drinking and all that sort of stuff. And then us having like an honest conversation because I think also, you know, a lot of the Quicklet, Quicklet is obviously the books about giving up the grog. A lot of the Quicklet, as you were saying earlier, deals with the very extreme cases where people have been downing a couple of bottles a day and have had to go to rehab or whatever and that wasn't my situation and i even remember you and i talking about that like would i consider going to aa and i you know and i said to you if i went to aa i'd I'd start making up stories to make myself more interesting you know but i was arrested i was in parkview police station you know like i would start lying just to try and look important um so I think this book fills a gap for people where we know that we're actually drinking too much, but we're not physically addicted to alcohol. So I don't have to wake up every morning and have a bit of body in my coffee. You know? Yeah. Um I'm not I'm not that, but I do know that I'm a binge drinker. So how do I manage that? How do I cope with that? And I remember talking to you as well, saying, Do you think I should go dry? What should I do? And you said to me, why don't you try moderation and, you know, and see if that works, see if that works for you. Yeah. 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 And it was, and it kind of just grew from there. And I think, and I think that's what um, people are relating to, you know, because I mean, because the Quitlet is magnificent. I mean, there's some fantastic books out there,
1: but there wasn't a lot for me dealing with moderation. The word that you use for moderation is damp. I came up with a name for you, the damp guru. So I wanted to know how you're coping with your newfound role as the Damp Guru. You
2: know, here's the funny thing is that it's because now I've put it out there and you know like how weird I felt about actually this book. Like it was fine writing it and la la, but once it's out there, then you feel like you feel a responsibility. I can't get off my face now. I've got to, I've really got to walk the talk, you know. I've got to live by what I've I've said. So, I mean... And probably I did that on purpose so that it actually will make me keep to it and not revert back to my old patterns of drinking. And the thing is, in a way, you can't go back. Once you, once you have taken this journey and gone dry for as long as I did and everything, you see what alcohol does and you're like, I can't actually go there. Again, it's um, kind of sad because I really did enjoy getting off my face. I can't lie. I can't pretend it wasn't fun. It was the most fun. But no, I can't go back there. It it is that sense of responsibility. And it's also that
1: sense of, I hope I'm giving people the right advice. Is that the right way of putting it? Mm -hmm. I don't know. And, you know, you touched on something about, you know, really enjoying your your drunk life. Marion Keyes speaks a lot about how, I mean, she's in full on AA Recovery and has spoken p- very publicly about this. And she talks about how she loved getting drunk and she loved alcohol. That's why she did it so much. And I know I had a feeling just a few months ago where I was at a 40th and everyone was wasted. And I knew that I was a bit less fun than everybody in that moment. And there was a sense of grief that came with that for my super fun self. And I wanted to know if you felt that feeling of grief for your drunk life as well. I think there is that that sense of loss
2: that you you are never going to go back there again.
1: Yeah. And, and if you
2: did, you would be very cross with yourself. So yeah. there is definitely a sense of loss that 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 is... And you and you know what I sort of compare it to? It's like before you actually start publishing books or before I worked in the TV and movie industry, you have this idea of what it's like. And then when yep. you actually do it and you see behind the scenes, it takes some of the magic away because yeah. now you know how it all works. Yeah, I feel the same about taking this journey, examining alcohol intake, etc., the magic has gone. I know now. And and I know, like, what they keep saying the quicklet, you're borrowing tomorrow's dopamine today, and yeah. tomorrow you're going to crash. So it's kind of like, no, thanks. I, I just don't want that. And if it means I am that little bit less fun, well, so be it. You know, Lord knows I've had enough years of fun, so possibly time for something different now. So, yeah.
1: I also saw a parallel to the sadness for a morning of our pre-pandemic selves, because I think there was a carefreeness that we all had as a globe before the pandemic that has been affected by what we all went through together. And we, we're carrying that collective trauma. Normal will never look the same. Um, I totally agree. I think, I think we are all very traumatized
2: by what we've, we've been through. I mean, I still sort of can't believe we have lived through a pandemic. My mind can 't get around it, and you know in our industry in the t v industry, we lost a lot of people, and that is still very, very shocking to me. you know those people were were here and now and now they're gone and it was literally sort of weeks before the vaccines got rolled out, and I think there is a a feeling of sadness that will maybe be replaced by an urge to go crazy later. I don't know. I mean, I do hope as a nation, it's it has kind of made us think about how, you know, the whole thing with the alcohol bans and the emergency rooms being empty because of the alcohol bans. I hope it does make us think a bit yeah, about how we drink as a nation and, and the role alcohol plays in our life. And also the role alcohol plays in keeping us stuck, mm. you know, Keeping us stuck. Yeah. Which I
1: think it is. Something that I really felt coming through in your novel is just the journey, the path that we've walked, because you walk this path over the pandemic, over some very individually, actually quite hectic political <laughs> events that took place in our country. But you get the sense that it is part of our everyday life as South Africans, and we are dealing with it on top of getting to school, handing in a piece of work, taking up various health challenges. So, I wanted to ask you how it felt revisiting that through drafting the novel. In a way, it was
2: quite strange, it was also
1: quite emotional.
2: In a way, like we've almost, like that whole thing about suddenly we're not wearing masks anymore. And I don't know about you, but sometimes, sometimes even now when I go up, I'm like, oh, when I go out, I'm like, oh, I forgot my mask. And then I realize I don't need yeah. to wear my mask anymore. So it was kind of a reminder of that and of kind of the happiness of first getting vaccinated. And then, yes, obviously, like the sadness of revisiting the July unrest and what that, you know, meant. And also, like just economically, like the shops that closed down, the businesses that closed, that, yeah, there was a definite feeling of sadness as I kind of edited and went over
1: that. Yeah. But I think, and just a note to future readers of the book, it's a sense of sadness but also almost like sadness within a family. You feel recognised and you feel at home. um, And it felt very positive for me to re-look at this and go, oh, my goodness, this is what we've been through. We've all been incredibly brave navigating our own struggles through this. So then on a very practical note, what daily habits helped you during this time of not only giving up of alcohol but living through the pandemic, political trials, family trials, etc.? cetera? Uh, mindfulness. So I'm a huge
2: fan of my mindfulness. That, that just – um helped me so much, so I would do that every morning, and also, you know, the husband and I walked, pounded the pavements of Park View. so it was the community as well, going for coffee every morning, connecting with other people, just saying hi, because when you work on your own, you never see anybody, so walking, you know, walking every day, we, at one point, we were walking like three times a day, um, when we couldn't go out and stuff like that, so that really helped, I think, Our family unit, you know, we're a close family, even if we fight or whatever, we're a very close family, we actually like spending time together. So I think it was that I think it was our neighborhood, our family. um, I would speak on the phone to my sister quite regularly as well. You and I would chat on the phone. And definitely also our Chasing Marion group, you know, writing a, a novel together. This book is like a Chasing Marion advertorial as well. So mm-hmm. because I describe our our whole process. So in fact, can I throw the question back at you? How did it feel like being in this book? Was it weird? <laughs>
1: um it was it wasn't actually weird at all. Maybe I'm just um an attention whore. <laughs> it was lovely to see our friendship play out, you know, in this perspective and in the context of this journey. Um, I did laugh sometimes. I thought I seemed quite earnest and stern um, (laughs) when I was telling you you to have boundaries. and, (laughs) And I guess I can be. But I think you always know your friends, but there's always another layer as well. So it showed me even as much as we spoke, there was still private pain that you were going through and certain instances that we'd spoken through in detail, there was still hurt there that I think that you were almost working through privately and then were able to express now in your memoir. I mean, I know our other co-author Gail said a similar thing that she wished she could have been there for you more. I actually felt
2: bad about that. But, you know, I, I think we were all there for each other. And, I mean, we do have the most hilarious, hilarious WhatsApp group ever. I mean, I think we'd
1: all go to jail if it was published. Um, Nobody <laughs> commits a murder because we don't want the WhatsApp group used as evidence. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think just in terms of our whole publishing journey and your your various publishing journeys, in general. I think let's touch on that a little bit because I do I do think that as an author, that journey from wanting to be published and be in the sun and be part of this world that you love so much to the practical reality of what it means to be an author and the And often, like, if we think of rejections and everything we've gone through, there is a private hurt that comes with it that's very hard to share. Talk to me about your writing journey within this time and to Chasing Marion, and now.
2: The hardest thing, really, for me, I mean, it took me a long time to get published. I was published digitally by EKaya, which was an imprint of um, Random Strike at that point in 2012. And then... And then Penguin and Random House merged into Penguin Random House. And then the book was bought out properly in print in 2015. And that's really, I guess, where my journey as an author started. And I had a pretty good, you know, a pretty good run. I had three books published sort of boom, boom, boom. And then I wrote a book set overseas, and I got a fabulous international agent in 2018, you know, and she was like, oh, this is going to be a lead title at the Frankfurt Book Fair. And then the book was optioned for TV by a company here. So I was like, oh, I am just so famous now. I can't even cope. And then what happened was the book didn't sell. And the TV company decided to make another um, show, not mine. So 2018 turned out to be a bit of a bummer for me because then I wrote another book and my agent didn't like it. And then we we actually parted ways because I realized I was – so that was kind of a big shock for me with the international agent was that, you see, in TV, I'm used to writing what I'm told. Like that that's what we do. And I'd never experienced that in publishing because in South Africa, we're actually very lucky. We get to write what we – pretty much want to write, and then you get this international agent, and your agent says, no, I don't like this book, so we're not submitting it, so you can write, and there are people who have written, I mean, the one author I saw had written nine books, I think, before she finally got one accepted, so that was a bit of a shock to the system, and I, I kind of realized, like, This is not working for me. I don't want to sit here and write because I do that. I, You know, I'm a writer by profession anyway. I do that every day. I'm told what to write. I want to actually write what I want to write. So it was very painful, though, because it's so hard getting that international agent. You know, you try for years to get one when you get one, and then you actually have to step away from that international agent. And that was very, very painful for me, I have to say. So, yeah, that was all very tough. So I think... Like chasing Marion was just such fun because we had no expectations of it. We weren't even thinking of publishing. We just did it to keep ourselves amused during the pandemic. So that was just so lovely, the whole experience. And Marion Keys, I mean, what a queen. She's just, you know, so supportive of authors and just gives her time and everything to everyone. So that was just an incredible experience with all of us. You know, and then obviously the memoir as well. Like I, I just sort of kept this journal and then, you know, sent it off to Annie and said, sent her an email and said, here's a blog post. Do you think I can turn this into a book? You know, I needed to pay school fees. So there we were. And she was like, yeah, i write a proposal. And I was like, oh, I don't know anything about writing a nonfiction proposal. So I quickly Googled it. Two weeks later, I had a book deal.
1: So I wanted to know your advice, Pam, to aspiring authors in fiction, nonfiction, beyond. Okay, so first
2: of all, just on a practical level, nonfiction sells better than fiction. Um, that's not to say I'm about to become J.K. Rowling. No, no, no. Do not get into writing books for the money. You, If you make money, it's a happy accident. It's everything else. And people never believe me. I'm like, I make money from writing for TV. I do not make money from writing books. And it's kind of like what you were saying. It's about the community. You have to love books. You've got to love reading. Like, don't, don't write a book if you don't love reading. Yeah. If you don't like The bookish community. And also, I think those of us who've had kind of a bit of overseas experience have realized like the gem we have in South African publishing, the attention we're given, the care we're given by the the teams, the PR team, you know, I mean, it really is quite amazing. And I think that was also my other realization with the overseas agent was actually take advantage of what you've got here. Yeah. You know, don't be always looking overseas for everything. Actually take advantage of what you've got here. So I would give that advice to people here as well. What's that um, Miley Cyrus song? It's the climb. It's the journey, people. It's the journey. So you better Mm. enjoy writing or you better feel compelled to write that book. Don't do it because you think you're going to be JK Rowling
1: because the likelihood is you're not. So and you know, yeah. I think in the arts in South Africa, Africa in general, there's been this in uh, this innate, innate sense that we need to seek approval on an international level that when you've had that international success, you've made it in some way, but it's actually not the case. We are telling such unique stories in such a unique environment that You know, if we can resonate with what we are all feeling and provide different perspectives within the amazing diverse community we have in South Africa, that's a huge achievement. And it's it's more than enough. On a spiritual level, something that came across to me in the book was this beautiful theme of acceptance and being present, especially as, and no spoilers, um, especially as the book wrapped up, the sense of you felt more rooted in who you are as a person and your life. Um, is that actually how it feels? Tell me more about that journey.
2: You know, I think the thing about drinking is that it does allow you not to be present. So it numbs you, it numbs you, but it also numbs you to the good stuff. So the, so it numbs you to the pain, but it numbs you to the good stuff as well. So I do think that when you are you know and i've had a couple of dry months even since i started sort of drinking again and i'm so cognizant now of of how much i drink and i think i am more present i think i am just more it sounds like a bad word but careful with my life and gentle with myself
1: i think i love that if that makes sense yeah completely and that's amazing and i've seen such a beautiful change in you that I mean, oh. you were amazing before, but even more amazing now. Oh, thank you, friend. Oh, virtual hugs. <laughs> You've written this book in this amazing voice, which I think comes so naturally to you. Um, what is next for you?
2: So, you know me, trying to work on that workaholism, but that that addiction doesn't seem to be leaving me anytime soon. Yeah. The moment I am busy writing the screenplay for Things Unseen for my second novel. I would like to get that made. And that really is my theme, is that I want to take all of your books and I want to adapt them for the small and the big screen here in SA. I would love to do that. I would love to adapt people's books. I probably will write some more nonfiction, and I'm also going to tinker with that thriller of mine when I have a moment. You know, at the moment I'm still working on three shows and Everything's just insane. But one day, Amy, one day I'm going to calm down. Promise.
1: <laughs> I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, I've got a bonus question because I'd love to hear your views on it. So what I loved about this novel is that it, and sorry, I should say this memoir, is that it's it's serious, but it's fun and you know, in terms of our literary landscape, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the roles of lighter novels, such as this one, such as Chasing Marion, such as thrillers, etc.
2: Oh, and in fact, you have prompted my next thing, because obviously, my next big dream is to start a book prize called the Page Turner Prize. And it's going to be for light fiction, because I'm a huge, huge believer in that. And I think we've got enormous um potential here we were talking about our humor i don't think people appreciate humor you know and how difficult it is to craft and to get it right and whatever so yeah i would like to see it genre fiction getting more um attention here getting the attention it deserves let's just say
1: yeah because as we said earlier it is such an integral part of our culture as south africans oh my gosh in stereo listen to us (laughs) Well, Pam, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. And I'm so proud of you for this book. If you are listening, please do run out and get a copy for yourself and for others. I'm sure it would make a really deliciously awkward gift for the the drunk in your family. (laughs) Prompt some dinner table conversation. So, congratulations hope it flies and everybody got and read it
2: thank you so much thanks amy thanks pam
0: thanks for listening to this episode of pagecast we love hearing from you so if you'd like to get in touch please contact us at pagecastpodcast at gmail.com until next time keep reading and listening